Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So Daniil Medvedev is the brand new... US Open champion in his third Grand Slam final, his second against Novak Djokovic, his second of the year, in fact, against Novak Djokovic. And it couldn't have been more different to the first played at the Australian Open earlier this year. Novak Djokovic fails to complete the calendar Grand Slam. He falls at the final hurdle with Rod Laver watching on the last man to complete the calendar Grand Slam in 1969. He was there. He was poised to present the trophy in the event of a Djokovic win. I can tell you that Medvedev's win tonight, whilst many will celebrate it for many different reasons, it did deny us the opportunity to see Rod Laver walk onto court to the tune of Rocket Man. Was that lined up? That that was in the script. Wow. For a Djokovic win. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And, and it would have been an iconic photo. Yes. The last man to complete yes. the calendar slam and the new man to complete the calendar slam. Like it a would sort of handover moment. In the event, we got a... A different photo, we got Stan Smith on the 50th anniversary of his 1971 win, a man that is not a shoe, mm-hmm. uh, as his autobiography title <laughs> reminds us, although he is also a shoe. He's both. I'm not, it should be, I'm not... Just a shoe. I'm not just a shoe. Yes, exactly. Um, it's No, it's People Think I'm a Shoe, isn't it? That's his autobiography title, which is epic. <laughs> Stan Smith presented the trophy... To Daniil Medvedev, while Novak Djokovic looked on in what must have been one of the most harrowing moments of his career, really. We'll, we'll, we'll delve into all of that. I mean, both Matt and I predicted a Novak Djokovic win last night, albeit an extremely narrow one, I think. We thought he would have to go to some dark places. Um, David... David wasn't here to make his prediction. He's not here tonight, folks. He's still 
still in recovery. He's all right. Um, we're again in the position where he'll set, accept any and all well well wishes. It's been a it's been a tough time for David. He wasn't able to do his commentary on the final today as he as he'd planned and hoped, and he is in fact <laughs> stuck in a Holiday Inn <laughs> in Salford, um, trying to rest up and get well. He'll be all right because um, he's David Law. But um, yeah, we wish him well and we'll miss him tonight as we have. Uh, on all the podcasts this fortnight that uh, illness has cruelly denied us his company. Um, but I think David was going for a Djokovic win. I, look, I think we all countenanced the scenario in which Medvedev denied Djokovic tonight. I don't think any of us contemplated the scenario that played out. I think of all the scenarios... Djokovic in three four five, Medvedev in three four five, all the permutations therein. What we saw tonight felt like the least likely of them all, which I guess is very in keeping with the twenty twenty one US Open, a real a real twist in the tail at the last, and yet still the match didn't feel in keeping with the twenty twenty one US Open. It's all it's all kinds of discombobulating somehow, and that's nothing to do with Medvedev winning, Djokovic not winning, any of that. It's more just the occasion and the moment and the match, I think, that's making us feel this way. Yeah, I was very, very wary going into this tournament that the stress of what Djokovic was trying to achieve could be something that would derail him. You know, I'm I'm pretty sure we spoke a lot about that in the lead up to this tournament. We all had him as the favourite. And we all thought he probably would manage it. But it was it was there. And I think we saw it along along the way. He had a sort of bumpy ride to the final, didn't he? Lots of lots of quite close matches, um, some stressful moments. But honestly, the fact he made it to the final and given that real sort of statement of intent that he finished his semi-final with and and that line about playing it as though it's the last match of his career and putting his all into it it convinced me that he would be able to handle what he was going for and I I thought he would embrace it and it would be a sort of unstoppable force pulling him along and as well as Medvedev would play I just thought Djokovic would dig deeper and do enough to win Um, but actually I think what we saw was the occasion weighing him down and pretty much sort of paralyzing him and not allowing him to play his game. Um, in his words, he was below par with everything in his press conference afterwards. He said that, and it's pretty hard to argue with that really. Um, he said his legs felt dead. Um, they looked dead, didn't they? He looked stuck in the mud. There was a moment when he whacked his thighs with his racket Mm. and Jim Courier said in the prime video commentary, that's a sure sign of fatigue and your legs not responding in the way you want them to. He just couldn't get them going and he reverted to serve volley a lot of the time and he Mm. came forward to the net and sometimes he did it well, but... It's just not his game and it was just a sign that he's that he wasn't feeling good and you know, there were little outbursts as well, a, a massive racket smash, a moment where he almost thumped the ball in into the crowd and, and restrained himself from doing it. You know, it was stress and 
I think he went two sets of love down against Sitsipas at the French Open, didn't he? And this just had a totally different feel to that match. It never felt like likely that he would mount a comeback. Just, you know, energy-wise, and he said this in his press conference as well, against Sitsipas, when he got a break in the third set, he kind of knew the comeback was on. He knew deep down that it wasn't on today. He just didn't didn't have it in him. And I think you can speculate that an extra almost six hours on court than Medvedev played a part. But he wasn't giving that much blame to that. I, I think it really was the stress of what he was trying to achieve. And once it was all over, he said what he felt was relief mm. that it had finished. And it was clearly, clearly weighing on him so much. I have to say that was that was my feeling. There was a lot of talk. Like I, I mentioned it. In, in my questioning to our various pundits on Prime Video about the five and a half hours extra that Djokovic had spent on court versus Medvedev, but it didn't look like that kind of fatigue to me today. Fact, added to that, the fact that Novak Djokovic has had far more gruelling runs into a Grand Slam final than this, far more gruelling. Um, you know, <laughs> We saw him beat Andy Murray in five sets at the Australian Open and less than two days later um, come back and win a six-hour final against Rafael Nadal that left one of the physical colossuses of sport bleeding in, in the locker room. Um, I mean, he's older now, Djokovic. He's, he's but older. He's but... still in supreme physical shape. Yeah. And the days off, I think, help massively with absolutely with and it just didn't look like that kind of fatigue it mm. wasn't it didn't present itself in the in the longer rallies there was no correlation between um length of rally and volume of fatigue it didn't mm. which is how that kind of fatigue i think generally presents itself looking out of puff and he just looked leaden absolutely leaden and yeah, that we know more now about the interaction of the the mental and the physical, don't we? And and we understand that, you know, it's not just a question of, you know, oh, I'm 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 feeling stressed. That that is a sensation that exists entirely from from the neck up. But goodness me, it must have been what a what an awful feeling to to be out of control of your own body, the mm. way it seemed that he was tonight. Um, or I was trying to think of some kind of layperson comparison, like like when you're so tired that you can't sleep. That was all I could think of. Just sort of, why? Mm. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you betraying me like this? My head is saying, I'm uh, all I need is sleep. Body, I'm letting you sleep. Why aren't you doing it? Um, and and usually that's because you've got something on your mind. Absolutely. Um, it must have felt like such a such a betrayal, um, and there was a moment, wasn't there? Uh, four five down in the third set, Medvedev had been five one up. He had served for it at five two. He got so <laughs> tight. I think. There were certainly two double faults in that game. Were they both on championship point? 
Certainly um, one was. There was one on Championship Point and then one on Deuce, the next point. Yeah, it, it was tight. I thought he should have underarmed. Oh, we all did, Matt. <laughs> we all did. I, I also think he had a brief moment of thinking that. And that's pure speculation, but Do you he think did have he a little look. Underarm serve and volley, now's, now's the time. Right. It served me well at the French <laughs> Open. Sort of suicide run to the net. <laughs> um yeah, that it was what the match needed at that point, wasn't mm. it? Um, yeah, so he, so Djokovic breaks him back, and Djokovic didn't do a whole lot to break him back. He 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 asked the question. He hung in there and asked the question, and we're talking about a set in which you know there was a moment when bagel set was crossing people's minds. So just hanging in there at, at this point, extraordinarily was was a real feat of resilience for Novak Djokovic. Then he holds, and then it's a sit-down at 5-4. So Djokovic is 4-5 down. Medvedev is about to come out and try to, to serve for it again. And Djokovic buries his face in his towel. And at first it looks like he's just mopping up the sweat, as is normal. And then you realise his chest is heaving. And he is sobbing into the towel, his face contorted in despair. And I have never seen anything like it, Matt. Uh, I have never seen anything like it. And again, we probably need David here for his slightly longer memory. But yeah, look, we've seen tears on a tennis court. We've relived, relived a lot of tears on a tennis court, but I've never seen those kind of tears and certainly not from that that player. It was extraordinary. I, I'll never forget that change of ends. And I think there was a lot happening, wasn't there? There was a combination of things. There was the realisation, I think, that it was slipping away, that it was, you know, kind of gone. Okay, he was still in the match, but he was on the brink of defeat, something he's worked so hard for. And there was also the incredible reception he was getting from the crowd during this mm changeover he was touching his heart and thanking them and and they were behind him like a crowd has never been behind Novak Djokovic before and the whole topic of Novak Djokovic and crowds is one PhD worthy totally and I and I sometimes feel bad about bringing it up in a way because it feels like there sort of should be more to talk about and so often it hasn't actually impacted the result of the match and yet it is a very important factor in the Novak Djokovic story um I actually said to you a few days ago that I thought a sort of glorious defeat in the final here could end up being the sort of moment which endears Djokovic to the tennis masses in a way that hasn't happened before because losses humanise you. You know, ask Roger Federer, ask Andy Murray just in terms of players from this era. And he's had losses, Djokovic, of course he has. He's had some tough ones, but not with this much agony and not with this much on the line and this much raw emotion visible to everyone. Um, It was slightly reminiscent of the prolonged applause he got after the 2015 French Open when he lost to Wawrinka and he'd never won the French Open before and they gave him this incredible reception but this was this was more than that and 
And look, there is something a bit cruel, I think, about what he what he had to give up for him to get that support. I mean, they were supporting him from the start, I think. They were behind him. They wanted to see history. But it was seeing him lose that actually really turned them massively in favour of him and seeing what it meant to him, seeing that emotion. And Djokovic has kind of had everything in his career except that love of the crowd. And it's it's a nonsense if people say that doesn't matter to him. It has mattered to him. He has craved it. Sometimes I think he's denied it. And as I said, it hasn't always had an effect on the outcome of matches. But the media sometimes get accused of amplifying and exaggerating that narrative for for our own ends don't exactly that's what i mean about sort of sometimes hesitating to bring Mm. it up because you know you just get piled on by Djokovic Mm. fans um but his actions have always been really telling you know the way he stopped doing the impersonations the way he Mm. does that celebration to the crowd you know but but didn't didn't crucially after the, the the two matches this tournament when he received the most negative reception from the crowd arguably very unfairly from the new york crowd but you know he noticed and he responded absolutely and all of djokovic's quotes after the match both in his encore speech and in his press conference confirm that it matters to him it really matters to him and that's fine completely fine it's we great we all want to be loved yeah uh, totally and look, that's the most human thing isn't it yeah and some of the some of the quotes are extraordinary from Djokovic you know talking about real gratitude for the crowd and how they sort of touched his soul and and genuinely gave him a positive feeling on the on the night which was one of the toughest of his career he 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 did win something tonight he didn't win probably what he thought he wanted the most which was the calendar slam but that that reception he received i think has has fueled him and has helped him in a way that he didn't realize was was possible because he's never had something like that before and does do you feel sure that it's more than just clinging, more than just looking for a positive in a sea of despair? I do. I feel I feel positive that what he experienced tonight mattered to him a lot. What I don't feel that positive about is whether it will carry over, whether it will mm. last. I think it might. As I said, I think it could be the moment where the sort of tennis viewership changes their opinion of Djokovic a little bit or some of them I mean he's obviously got I've always thought Djokovic has the third most amount of fans in men's tennis <laughs> you know yeah um he does have a lot of fans of course he does but you know it's no secret that he's he's been way behind Federer and Nadal in in that conversation um so yeah I think I do think it mattered deeply to him tonight to receive that the the response the celebration from Daniil Medvedev, so many aspects of it warrant talking about. I think Medvedev's whole performance we need to talk more yes. about as well. Yes, can I start with the celebration Please though and then, then we can work backwards? <laughs> um, he did a celebration. <laughs> did, did, you know, did you know what it was? What, it was a re- what the reference point was at the time that he did it? No, 
No, okay, great. I don't feel 100 years old then. <laughs> so did you know at the point that Medvedev gave the clue? Yes. Oh. When he gave the clue, I thought, oh, well, that's a FIFA thing. Because I know he likes FIFA and I know he can do specific celebrations on FIFA. Right. Um, I mean, I laughed out loud when he did it. It was hilarious. The, the celebration? The celebration. Well, it was great. He, I th- what I loved not, is how he committed to it. Yes. It, it would have been dire had he not committed to it. <laughs> I mean, the most cringe thing that's ever happened. Um yeah, he said he, it, he did the he did face he did face oh, and everything. The face is brilliant. It's called the dead fish. Oh well, well I can absolutely see why. I think I might just call Medvedev dead fish from now on. <laughs> um, so he did that, and that was wonderful. You know, Bloke's just won his first Grand Slam title, He's and he doesn't normally celebrate. And he doesn't normally celebrate. So it was completely out that to to break that no celebration rule, it should be for something epic. Yeah, and, and he said it came to him at Wimbledon. Oh, he'd been planning it. He'd been planning it, and oh. he was thinking of doing it at Wimbledon. He said, I'm in really good form. And he said, in, in sort of one night, I couldn't sleep. And oh, this is I was having thoughts, brilliant. and I thought, oh, I'm going to do... If I win Wimbledon, I'm going to do the, that celebration. And the reason he thought it would work at Wimbledon is because the grass is soft, and yeah, he has to also, sort of leap. the centre court crowd is not the one for that. No, no, true. <laughs> And he, he said he hurt himself doing it today. <laughs> he committed so much, he injured himself. Um, so that happened, and it was epic, and it was brilliant. But then it was pretty muted, wasn't it? Mm. And he actually, he actually sat down in his chair, looked over at his box, um, and he did a sort of just quieten down, just keep a lid on it motion. Um and he himself, you know, he looked—he was smiling broadly and looked extremely happy. But there was a restraint about all of the celebrations. And I think that was an acknowledgement of, and mark of respect to, towards Djokovic. And I thought that was fantastically classy. Yeah, me too. And then he said something in his speech as well, which he's never said before which was that he thinks Djokovic is the greatest player of all time. I've seen, I've been in press conferences with Medvedev where he's been asked his opinion on the GOAT debate and he has never given Mm. an answer out of respect because I'm sure he holds them all in such high regard and, you know, he just didn't want to get into that conversation. But he said it unprompted tonight. And as I think that was a real mark of respect for Djokovic. And, and he said in, in his press conference again that his tactical conversation with his coach before a match normally is about two minutes. You know, they don't really talk tactics that much. But against Djokovic, 30 minutes, which is, it doesn't even sound that long, does it? But, you know, 15 times longer. He says it's just... It's just unique playing Djokovic. The things he can do, the things you have to be prepared for. He rates Djokovic so much. And the fact that he's got a win over him in a Grand Slam final when he's going for all that history just makes it all the sweeter, I think, for Medvedev. So what did he do tactically tonight? Because even with Djokovic in the state that he was in, I still, I felt throughout, okay, no, not throughout, perhaps not in the third set, 
but I felt pretty much throughout the second set, and I still feel this way upon reflection, that had Djokovic been able to get a foothold in the match, and that's a it's a big if, I realise, had he got that foothold, had he had a moment or a, a release of some sort that would have loosened him up, the whole thing could have been different. Not necessarily a different result, but different type of match altogether. And Medvedev made sure that he never got that foothold. And that was brilliant tonight. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic, actually, Medvedev. Um, Look, he recognised that Djokovic did not have a good day. And he said, look, when we played in Australia, Djokovic was great. But I didn't have a good day. And there's there's always two sides to a tennis match. And yes, Djokovic wasn't great today, but Medvedev really, really was. He um, he played the role of the party pooper, the spoiler, just brilliantly. Perfect for that role, perfect isn't he? Perfect role. Just and... did not give two hoots about... Yeah. And yet was perfectly... Res- and di- but did give two hoots after he'd won it. Exactly. It's, it's gave just many what hoots. you want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and look, we don't learn much from pre-match interviews, I don't think. But oh, but, but I, today I, and yesterday, actually looking back, interesting. I haven't thought about yesterday's. Raducanu definitely looked the more relaxed right. in those two interviews. Everybody said it at the time. Interesting. Okay. Well, I I watched the two tonight, and I thought Djokovic was breathing really mm. heavily and, and looked quite nervous. Whereas mm. Medvedev said, "I like my chances. I need to do better than Australia," and I actually think. That experience that he had in Australia ended up helping him tonight because he he knew that was the sort of worst case scenario mm. and he he knew he could do better. He was prepared for that, and I felt it was a little bit of a combo of the ways he's beaten Djokovic in the past. On the one hand, he was really tough in rallies and just going toe to toe, and as exactly as you said, saying, "I'm not going to lose these rallies. You're going to have to beat me." And the depth and the accuracy on his shots, it was it was all there. And I think he knew he probably maybe had a bit of a physical edge as well. But then also, he was gambling on his second serve and going for it on that shot in the way that we saw him do in Cincinnati when he beat Djokovic a couple of years ago. And I mean, his serve the whole match was imperious. Djokovic, what, you know, widely regarded as the best returner of all time barely got a look in it, it it made sure that Djokovic couldn't get any rhythm going if he yeah. if he played one brilliant return point and you thought oh right Djokovic is showing up now ace yeah all rhythm gone all momentum all all the things that we know Djokovic for the way he can just turn a tide you need momentum for that it's a process and Medvedev was able to shut it down at every stage Ace, unreturnable serve, just snuffed out. Yeah, and yeah, totally. And he also returned the Djokovic second serve brilliantly. I mean, he sort of dismantled it in a way that normally Djokovic does to his opponents. Um, I think the biggest credit I can give Medvedev is that an element of this match, which was sort of the thing that was talked about the least because Djokovic was the protagonist of it, I suppose, and was consuming all the oxygen in terms of how people talked about this match. But Medvedev was going for his first Grand Slam title. Mm. That is a very, very big deal. And yet 
other than when he went to serve it out at 5-2, I barely thought about that. Mm-hmm. It just didn't feel relevant. It didn't feel like the occasion was getting to him at all. He just did his thing, stayed in his zone, and just delivered a really, really strong performance. And that final game, with all that was going on, you know, it was brilliant the way the crowd showed their appreciation and love for Djokovic. It was a shame, I thought, that it spilled into booing during oh, yeah. Medvedev serving and during that game. But I know he, I think he hit one double fault in that game, didn't he? But overall, he really played a brilliant final game and held it together very, very composed and made a sort of circus around him. One sliding door, a, a, a mini sliding doors tennis for you here, Matt, one scenario. Um, I think, I think in Medvedev's first service game of the second set, I think it was love one of the second set, Djokovic had love 40. And Medvedev won five points in a row to hold that game. Hmm. I know ifs and buts, all the rest of it, there's no point. But <laughs> <laughs> well, but if he had won one of those... Well, Djokovic said that was a turning point. You know, I, I mentioned him not having the confidence that he had in the French Open final when he went down two sets to love. But he did say that the start of the second set was the moment where if he was going to turn it around, it was right there. Um, But I thought Medvedev saved them, really. I mean, that there was an incident, wasn't there, where they had to replay a point because some... Yes. music or something came over the sound system. Or... Yeah, a, a Jumbotron malfunction, which gave all of us an opportunity to say Jumbotron <laughs> today. Second time I've said it. Brilliant. Um, yeah, Djokovic probably less pleased about it, but me, delighted. <laughs> and and that came, I think, in between Medvedev's first and second serve. So they replayed the point. Medvedev got another first serve, which he actually missed. So it it did reset with a second serve. And then from memory, Medvedev played a brilliant backhand up the line yeah. to save that break point. But yeah, I think that there's always a moment in a match, yeah, especially a best of five set match where it could have turned and well, almost always. And that was probably it. But wow, I mean, Medvedev, not many players beat a big three member in a Grand Slam final. He's joined Murray, Del Potro and Wawrinka. They're the only ones. As Medvedev would say, legends only. <laughs> what was it? L L two shift left? L two plus left. Plus left. Mm. Dead fish. Dead fish. Uh there was a brilliant tweet by the brilliant writer Jerry Nathan. <laughs> yeah. A couple of tweets actually said, Imagine the pain of losing the calendar slam. To a guy who reminds you with his final words that he is a gamer. <laughs> the ultimate fate of the millennial. Reach the peak of your craft only to be obsoleted by vloggers and shit posters. <laughs> with apologies there to David's mum, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it's so... I mean, and Medvedev's seven years older than the person that won the, the women's title yesterday. And yet, this is the first time since 1990 that we've had maiden champions, maiden Grand Slam champions in both the men's and the women's at the US Open. And that was Sampras and Sabatini. So mm. I don't want to fall into the <laughs> same trap. 
that I fell onto on Prime Video earlier of trying to say Changing of the Guard without saying Changing of the Guard. Um, a new dawn, a new era. I'm not, I'm not saying that Novak Djokovic is going anywhere and not going to be the favourite for the Australian Open. Of course he is. He'll be going for a 10th title there. Unless he, you know, takes a fall between now and then. But but still, he, he will be the favourite. Um, but will... Will the feel of tennis be significantly different going forward now? Will will Novak Djokovic be the outlier? Mm. The outlying member of tennis's past that is that is forcing his way into the present rather than the future that is forcing its way into the present. <laughs> it's it's late, folks. Yep. None of that quite worked. <laughs> No, I, I get it. Um, <laughs> I think the difference will come if he's the only one of the big three. I've, I've always held this theory about the big three as pack hunters. And I think when there's only one of them in the draw, mm. it just makes it harder for them to win it. Well, Nadal is currently on crutches. Nadal is on crutches. Federer, we've not seen a picture of him, but he said he was going to be on crutches for, mm. for weeks. So, didn't he? so he kind of is the only one. And yeah. Andy Murray is playing a challenger event in Wren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, big believer in the big four. <laughs> but I said big three for a reason. Um, the balance of power is still with Djokovic. It has to be, based mm. on what he's done this year at the Grand Slams. But it was pretty extraordinary that he won certainly two of the slams that he did this year. Australia was a big struggle for him, and the French Open was a massive struggle for him in terms of coming from two sets down twice, beating Rafael Nadal. He, he knew this was a now-or-never situation for the calendar slam. He knows he's not going to be hoovering up Grand Slam titles. I, I'm pretty sure he will win more. Mm. But, you know, we've heard Zverev talk about the belief he gained from beating Djokovic at the Olympics and he ran him far closer mm. off the back of that than he ever has before in a Grand Slam and you feel like Medvedev will gain belief from this. I think he had a real aura, Djokovic, post-Wimbledon, didn't he? But he's, you know, he's gone to two events that he set his sights on winning and he hasn't won them. And that that has to have some impact. I think so, anyway. Just, I should say, I tweeted earlier that, okay, Djokovic has come up short in terms of completing the Grand Slam, just as Serena did six years ago. But what a thrill to Mm. have both of them go for it, you know, in our Mm. memory. I think the last time it, it happened was Martina Navratilova in... 1984, trying to get the Grand Slam. She she completed three of four. She already had she, won yeah. seven in a row. Yeah. Unreal. She went into that tournament on a 70-match winning streak. Unreal. And it was Australia, and it wasn't such a big slam. You know, it didn't have the same prestige, and it, there wasn't all the press attention on it. So really, these two from Serena and Djokovic are are the ones since, since Steffi Graf in... In 88. And, you know, I massive respect for what they did. You know, there's there's glory in the chase as well as 
in the final catch. And yes, they both wanted to do it, but they both enhanced their greatness on that quest. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's so beautifully put. I'll tell you what, Matt, two golden slams were completed today. Mm. <laughs> two. <laughs> and one of them was followed by, okay, not the moment of the tournament, because Emma Adekarnu, moment of the millennium, <laughs> but definitely second best moment of the tournament, Dylan Alcott uh, defeated Niels Vink, uh, the unseeded Dutchman today, 7-5-6-2, in the wheelchair quad singles uh, final to win the golden slam. Now, Dylan Alcott is, is a massive deal in Australia, isn't he? I think after he won that Olympic gold, his... His face was projected onto the Sydney Opera House, or perhaps his name. Wow. Something about Dylan Alcott was projected onto the Sydney Opera House. He, he's he's big potatoes. He, he's 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 cool. He's really cool. He's part of the the TV coverage often of the the Australian Open in Australia. Um, and there was a lovely moment um, in the early ish stages of the first set of the the men's singles final when all of the uh, wheelchair champions that had uh, competed today um, were, were were lined up on the first tier of the Arthur Ashe Stadium and the camera was on them and they they were introduced and waved to the crowd. Dylan Alcott, Matt, <laughs> took his moment of the sun. And then some. And then some. <laughs> Talk us through it. Well... He had, was it the trophy he had with him? Yeah, or receptacle yes. for beverage. Yeah, and he had a beer. Mary Corello apparently said on, on the American coverage, I don't think that's his first beer today. <laughs> <laughs> and he poured it into the receptacle and chugged it. Chugged it. <laughs> And he says he always chugs beer after he wins Grand not Slams. Like, not like that. He but doesn't. he's never done it in front of on the Arthur Ashe Stadium in front of it twenty thousand people. It, it was, it was a sort of oh is he uh, oh right he, he oh right <laughs> a, a, again similar to Medvedev he committed to it totally and that is what mattered. And wow, if you can't do it after you've won a Golden Slam, I don't know when you can. <laughs> Didi de Chut. Also completed the Golden Slam today. She beat Yuikimiji 6-3-6-2. No chugging, though. No, she was a spectator. She'll she'll have to do it again <laughs> uh, and and get her chugging moment in the sun. But extraordinary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Shingo Kanida won his 25th Grand Slam singles <laughs> title 25th, folks, 25th. He beat Alfie Hewitt 6-1, 6-4 in the final of the wheelchair men's singles. He's 37 years old, Ishingo Kanida. And speaking of 37-year-olds that won titles today, Sam Stozer and Zhang Shui won the women's doubles title. They beat Makoko um, in three sets. Coco Goff, Katie McNally, who were, well, Coco Goff certainly was disconsolate mm. in that defeat. I mean, just joyful scenes with Zhang and, and Stoza, joyful. I love them. Uh, it it re- it reminded me of how wonderful it was when they, when they won the Australian Open title a couple of years ago. They recaptured that and it was all just delightful. But... Um, it was quite a tough scene with Coco Goff and Katie McNally that. And I sort of loved how tough a scene it was and how desperately they wanted to win that. But it was, it took me aback a bit, actually. Yeah, me too. I thought Katie McNally was wonderful in her love and support of Coco oh, Goff. Yeah. You know, in that moment, she just said all the right things and just, you could tell she meant them. Mm. They really are a great team. They're great friends. And it was a little bit relived, wasn't it, in terms of everyone saying, you will be back in this final, you will get a chance again. I I really notice when people say that now at at, um, trophy ceremonies. People with plates (laughs) being told they will win multiple Grand Slam (laughs) titles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was a a great match, I thought. Yeah. Goff and McNally were a bit, sort of slow out the blocks, but then really got the crowd involved. A bit of a sparse crowd, but really got them involved in the second set when they when they turned that around and won it. And they had chances to go up a break at the start of the third and just 
just couldn't quite take them. I think that probably, I think the nature of the match probably did influence how Coco Goff was feeling. You know, it was, it did perhaps feel like one that got away, but what a team Stosa and Shway are. I mean, I really think Stosa is underrated. Underrated, agrees. 16 years since she won her first. 16 years. She's won slams in. All the disciplines, mixed doubles, singles and doubles, of course. Um, she played five Olympics. She's been Aussie number one for, I don't know, over 400 weeks or something. Um, obviously, a French Open runner-up as well as a US Open champion. And just a great role model and just a great person to have in, in tennis, I think. And as we discovered today... In Coco Goff's speech, which she delivered brilliantly mm. despite being so desperately upset. And it was funny, she really looked like a young girl, didn't mm. she, in those moments? It was, I don't want to say immature, that's 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 far too harsh, but there was a real rawness to it, wasn't it, wasn't it that was very 17-year-old? And mm. why not? She's a 17-year-old. She's never been in a Grand Slam final before. Um, but she she told Sam Stozer and everybody watching and listening that Sam Stozer was the first ever tennis autograph that she got. And that was lovely. Really was, yeah. Lovely, it was lovely. a really lovely moment. Not as good as Diddle Norcott chugging his beer, but but one of the great moments of today. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Oh. <laughs> that's the US Open 2021. What else can we talk about, Matt, so it doesn't have to end? <laughs> <laughs> Don't let it end. No. What a tournament. What a tournament. And a surprising one in, in so many ways. I really did come into this tournament with some apprehension you know all of the women's slams in recent memory have been great truly sort of developing in unexpected ways and some great matches and with the men's event I just really thought only the sort of Djokovic slam story would be what sustained it and there was just so much going on in in both draws um I will I will always remember this tournament. Um, I will always remember Andy Murray versus Stefano Tsitsipas on the very first day with the sort of aggro, seeing Andy Murray play like that again. I think it's probably got lost in in that story. (laughs) Um, Then we had Carlos Alcaraz doing his thing and emerging as a a star. Um, We had Leila Fernandez... Four matches, really, in a row. Osaka, Kerber, Svitolina and Sabalenka. Four matches of the tournament, really. One after the other. She lit up New York. She was incredible, just in a way that I think was unexpected to her, to be honest, and just playing with such joy. Amazing to watch her. Obviously, the Djokovic story did end up sustaining the men's event, and that was epic to follow and then Emma Raducanu Emma Raducanu it really happened didn't it it happened it really did yeah when will I think I'll think about that every day for I don't know 
don't know when will be well, i don't know i don't know it's um yeah i'll never forget it i'll never forget any of this um yeah we 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 ran our closing montage on prime video earlier and it, it roughly ran in chronological order with a, with a bit of editorial license at the end to to end on Emma Adekanu, obviously um and it started with all the the Murray Sitterpass stuff and I was like god you remember when toilets were the biggest <laughs> We talked about toilets. This to- for we about talked four about toilets for four days. days and thought, let's cling to this toilet story because it's, it's you know, it's great. It's a story, and then like stuff started happening, and we dropped toilets like a hot potato, <laughs> didn't we? Goodness me! And yeah, it it's been everything, hasn't it? It's been absolutely brilliant. The only. The only disappointment of it, I think, for us is that we haven't been able to record as many podcasts just as the three of us. Mm. And that, I mean David in that, not Billy Jean, who is... She, she might be glad the US Open is over <laughs> in terms of the amount of tennis that's been on the telly. Poor Billy Jean. Yeah. she. <laughs> I don't think she will be glad the US Open is over because it means that Matt's going home and I think that's going to be crushing for her tomorrow. But... um. For both of us. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> she's learnt a lot about the resilience <laughs> and commitment <laughs> and insomnia required uh, <laughs> to be involved in the tennis world. And whether you like it or not, Billie Jean, you are involved in the tennis world. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I obviously mean David. And uh, yeah, we've had some, we've had some joyous podcasts, the three of us. But yeah, it's... It's we've not been able to share it all together as much as we would have liked, and uh, sorry to you for that. And uh, that's the listener, not not you, Matt. Well, they're also sorry to you because you've kind of you've been the mainstay. I know. I need to slip back into my <laughs> cozy number three role. <laughs> never, never. You can never go back to a cozy number three role making take with hot takes about Karen Hatchinov. <laughs> That's a shame for everyone. <laughs> God, when was the last time you thought about Karen Hatchinov? Anyway, um, I think I think what's happening here is I'm just trying to drag the end bit mm. out because I don't want this all to be over. It has been just such a treat. It's been special. Um, thanks for com- thanks for coming on the journey with us. <laughs> um, yeah, we really appreciate your company and bearing with us while we've not all been able to be on every show i hope we've captured it all as best we possibly can i know matt certainly has uh and goodness me yeah anything else matt do i have to bring this train into the station (laughs) i think if david were here Mm. he would say very importantly thank you to our kickstarter backers yes and if you have enjoyed these podcasts, we will be crowdfunding again at the end of the year. And there's a link in our show notes where you can sign up for a email reminder when we go live. And we would obviously appreciate your backing. It's like he's here. <laughs> he would say it with more enthusiasm than that. <laughs> um I've got a way to drag this out, actually. 
with a rant about oh, the predictions. Yes, oh yes. Hmm. Hmm. I haven't won, have I, Matt? You have not won. No, you have come second. Hmm. But Chris Albert Lee, mm. who we've who's been downgraded to mediocre <laughs> bloke, <laughs> sticking by that. Uh, he has won with a with I'm pretty sure a record breaking score. This but is I, in our newsletter. But I think mine is also yeah. a record breaking score. Yeah, you're right. The injustice of it, Matt. Yeah. Mm. In, in in another era. If we know anything about sport, it's that timing is mm-hmm. everything. And that defeat is crushing. So Novak Djokovic and I are experiencing very much similar emotions tonight. Get out the violins for both of us. Um, I think that's it, except for the formalities, um, which is that Zeus and I uh, have been cruelly denied victory by Chris Albert Lee, mediocre slash top bloke. Uh, Rogue is David's mascot. You came nowhere near anywhere resembling a podium, but well done, Rogue, anyway. Get well soon, David. Matt and Scouse on Mattelsall, where did you finish? Fifth. Mm. Bad tournament. Is that second from bottom? Yeah. Are you dressing that up? <laughs> you, yeah. You've dressed that up, yeah. Who did finish bottom? Um, lovely Guillermo. Oh, right. I, I was hoping it was David. I didn't I didn't mean to shame Guillermo <laughs> there. Sorry. Uh, uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King. She is just cuddled up to Matt for the, uh, for the final moments of this podcast. Chris Albert Lee is generally a top bloke. It's just, mm, yeah, generally you're a top bloke, Chris Albert Lee. Francis has been our lovely US Open mascot, handsome, handsome cat. Thank you for listening. Thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers for making this possible. We'll be back with more tennis podcasts soon. We're never far away, don't you worry. David will be back. The three of us will be back together. We'll be making podcasts at normal hours of the day. And tennis will be great again. We'll see you soon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.